Hi there. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Renaissance Space Podcast. If you'd like to listen to any previous series of the Renaissance Space Podcast, you can find all episodes on our Buzzsprout webpage or wherever you get your podcasts from. In this week's episode, in our EdTech Focus series, Margaret speaks to school improvement leader and teacher Catherine McGee. Catherine discusses how EdTech solutions have supported her and her staff to better understand pupil development while saving them valuable time. Catherine looks at using EdTech to support staff in both reading and mathematics. Remember, if you'd like to have your say on this episode or any other episode, just pop onto Twitter, tweet your comments and include the hashtag, hashtag Renaissance Space in your tweet. This will allow you to join other educational professionals in discussing the podcast together. As always, please subscribe, share and leave a comment. Enjoy! excited and thrilled that Catherine has joined has agreed to join us she's a a school improvement leader she has responsibility for assessment and data and she's a teacher but I think she also has all sorts of other things she's doing so the fact that she's even here today I think is a real blessing so welcome Catherine and thank you so much thank you Margaret thank you for having me and um, yes, I am school improvement leader, but first and foremost, I am a teacher and I teach P6. I, I have taught P6 for 11 years. Before that, I taught P5. I taught P5 for four years. And before that, I actually worked in a special needs school in Dublin for children with mild to moderate learning difficulties. Um, I'm a member of the senior leadership team and my Areas of responsibility include assessment and data, as you said, um, Renaissance products and remote learning. And now more than ever, those three areas are very much triangulating and they're complementing each other very nicely. They used to be quite distinct, but I now find that they are very much overlapping. And that obviously that overlap obviously creates good outcomes. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, Just in case we have... um colleagues or teachers from um over the water can i just clarify is p6 the same as our year six in 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 england no your my p6 is your year five okay i just thought so whenever, yeah absolutely because whenever we're looking for resources or anything like that we're always aware of is it primary six p6 year five you know if you're looking at english-based resources so your my primary six is your year five Okay, just in case there's anybody thinking, I don't really know what P6 is. So, so yeah. thank, you for, thank you for that. I thought it was quite nice if we just, we, we um, deliberated about the title, didn't we? And I think um, one yeah. of us said, oh, a star in its own right. Um, I can't, would you like to explain? Why, why did we come to yes. this decision? Um, I think the reason was actually twofold. So I think that the, perhaps the common assumption out there is that star maths has to be bundled in with accelerated maths, a bit like star reader and accelerated reading. But in actual fact, star maths is a Renaissance product that can stand alone. And perhaps if your school doesn't have the budget for both, you can buy star maths on its own. And that is the fact in my school, we just didn't have the budget for both. So we bought star maths on its own and it works extremely effectively as a standalone product. Um, The other benefit of that is that 
in the year that it has been where teachers have had to just revolutionize their their tech their technical skills and have just had to upskill practically overnight in response to the pandemic we didn't really think that it was a good thing to throw others other things at staff you know despite the fact that my staff are very aware of star reader and accelerated reader and actually the transition to star maths was quite seamless and perhaps the transition to accelerated maths would be also but in a teacher mindset it's just another thing to do in a year that has had huge 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 um asks and we just did not want we just did not feel it was the right time to ask for another ICT or IT platform in a year that has been saturated with them so really star maths on its own it works really really well um, so we we brought brought star mats in um, for it was a COVID response um, it was a COVID response because we usually would have our standardized data. Um, so initially star mats came to our school was born out of a lack of data. And that's how star mats came to be in my school. I think it's really nice that you mentioned that because I've I've worked with a lot of schools who They've been using star reading and they use star early literacy um, and they don't even know that star maths exists. Um, and I think your point about people thinking, well, we already have a maths instruction program. We're using Inspire Maths or we're using Hamilton Trust or White Rose or any of those programs that, that offer that, that maths platform. But people don't realise that actually the data that star maths picks up and delivers is based on the children's knowledge and the nature of the way the star tests work. It's very much based on the individual child's ability to answer the items within star. So it doesn't yeah. need to, to be correlated with a programme. And just as you say that, Margaret, for um, viewers here in Northern Ireland, we have had some computer-based assessment for maths in the past. We've had INCAS and we've had something called NINA, Northern Ireland numeracy assessment, and they have been computer-based assessments. And perhaps, they, like everything, there are the pros and the cons. And sometimes people are a little bit hesitant to take on board a maths assessment because there's that worry of, well, what if the IT is actually a barrier and we're having a result, we're having a result yielded for the child and what part of that was the fact that they couldn't operate the IT system and therefore the result is a little bit unreliable, it's a little bit compromised. Yes. And I also I think it's very important to say, especially from a Northern Ireland point of view, in the past with different maths assessments that we have had that have been computer-based, the child, the pupil, has had to have the ability to, make it, to maybe drag and drop, use the mouse, you know, a certain degree of mouse skills or a certain degree of scroll pad skills. Yes. Um, where with star maths, I really rate the fact that it is just multiple choice and it's literally a click. And that's the height of the IT involved. So I'm a big advocate of reliable data. I have to be because I'm assessment and data coordinator, but I am a huge advocate of data being reliable. And I do believe that whenever children are asked to drag and drop and click maybe at the top of the screen or the bottom of the screen, you know, for children, for some children, that does make, that does color their actual result. Yes. With star maths just being multiple choice, I find that that really is a big leap forward in terms of data being reliable. 
Yeah, um, one of the things I like about Star Maths is its efficiency as well. Um, I often give an example of if you were doing a paper-based test, um, you often have to ask several questions to actually establish the child's ability. Um, with Star Maths, a question like, the perimeter of a square has tw is 20 centimetres, what does each side measure? If the child yes. answers five centimetres, you know they know multiplication, they know division, yeah. They know the properties of a square. And so you don't need to ask any more questions around those concepts. Star will take yes. it up a level and it might start talking about a rectangle. And, and if the long sides are this, what are the short sides? But yes. It's, it's very efficient in delivering that child's level and ability and its ceiling before moving on to yes. the concept. Yes, because actually, Margaret, um, to reference back to the computer based assessments that we've had in the past, you can have a SEN entry point, um, which means that if you know a child is needs to be entered in two years below their chronological age or whatever, you had the ability to do that. And I thought, gosh, I wonder why Star Maths hasn't taken on board something quite similar, but it's because it doesn't need to. It, it's very intelligent. It works out very quickly how adaptive it needs to be. You know, so yeah, absolutely. So I'm glad you brought this up, Margaret. This is my favorite report. <laughs> perfect. Well, then it does, doesn't need any introduction. I, I just, I, one of the things I was going to say is the, the beauty or the strength of, of um, uh, Star is that it has so much to offer. Um, sometimes yeah. the weakness is, well, there's so much. Where do I start? So I think having yeah. a report that, that you're able to articulate and talk about is fantastic. So do, you, do your this stuff, Catherine. <laughs> This is my favourite report from a teacher's point of view, especially because everything now is all about personalised learning and teaching to the pupil's individual path. And that sounds cumbersome. It sounds like it's going to increase our workload. But actually, with the right tools, it can happen very efficiently and very economically. So this report is what every teacher needs to see when they do their star maths. Um, and it's actually not even the top half of this report. On the slide, you can only see the top half of the report. Um, and that's because it's to make you recognize the report. But it's actually a little bit at the bottom of the report. The micro data, really, if you're going to drill down into the data, you don't see it on the screen there. Um, but it's really, really valuable from a class teacher point of view, not even from an assessment and data point of view, just from a class teacher point of view for the bread and butter of teaching. Because what it will do is it will show you the different areas that the child, that the pupil has been assessed in, um, like geometry, shape and space, all of that. And it will give you the individual score for those different areas. And then you can take those different areas and you can really put in place personalised learning, tailored learning, very bespoke learning for that child. You know, one size fits all is, does not exist anymore, and especially not after two lockdowns in Northern Ireland, two periods of suspended closure for schools. And um, it really does need to be more akin to the child. You know, it's about us fitting with the child as opposed to the, the child fitting with the system. Um, so it's really, really useful. It really um, correlates with our standardised tests. So we do standardised tests at the end of the academic year. We're actually just doing them this week. And, and this as close to the end of the academic year or some some schools do them in September time and they do the previous year's academic test they do them in the first term so it depends on what way your school administers it but with those tests you get back your standardized score 
And you also get back a breakdown of the different maths areas, numbers, shape and space, handling data, measures, facts and procedures, problem solving, all of those things. And you get the children's individual scores in those individual areas. Star Maths also does that um, and does it very, very effectively. So it will give you a breakdown of the different areas and it will give you the different scores. And in my school, we have a target system then in place. You know, we can look at those scores, see what the child is weakest in make that their first target, let the child work towards achieving that target 20 times is what we do. Um, and when they've achieved that 20 times, then we can look at the second weakest area of maths and see if they can work towards that 20 times and just move on like that. So nice. I have to say the diagnostic report is immensely valuable from a class teacher's point of view, because you can say, okay, boys and girls, who is working on the measures target? And you can have work specifically designed to address what the child is weak at um, and it's really really tailored teaching it's really really useful that um, may or may not know about focus skills we did make these available to anybody and they're the targets that Catherine's been talking about there are workbooks for reading and for maths and you can download those and it will actually identify those key objectives um, so if you haven't yet explored star maths looking at the focus skill workbook might help give you an insight and even if you don't end up with star maths at least you've got those focus skills that you can then use so I just thought I'd throw that in there because everyone likes a freebie don't they absolutely <laughs> very useful Margaret you know in my group in my class at the minute I have the measures group I have the handling data group and I have the shape and space group and that's those three different groups get those three different sets of homework you know so it's really 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 useful um there was just one other thing that I wanted to mention in case I hadn't make, made it particularly clear was that we brought star maths in because we didn't have our standardized tests because of school closure last year. So that's how star maths was born in our school. But I wanted to say that it is growing up to be an important member of our data family. Um, and despite the fact that it was brought in as a COVID response, um, it is going to be a, a long standing part of our assessment um, apparatus that we have in our school. Fantastic. That's really nice to hear. So you you bought it as a sort of staged attempt to try and give you some more information. And now it's becoming part of your, your DNA. That's that's wonderful. It is. And our parents are developing the language of what, what was my child's star math score this term and, wow. and things like that. And actually that data that, that is on the student diagnostic report was immensely useful for populating our parent-teacher consultation forms this year and for actually whenever we were have we didn't have face-to-face -face parent teacher consultations we did them by google meet but in the past we would have been able to reference our standardized scores and we would have been able to look at the areas that were weakest look at the areas that were strongest and celebrate those we didn't have any of that teachers were scratching their heads thinking you know how do i with confidence tell parents about their children yes i have my teacher judgment which is absolutely valuable but how can I really with confidence say your child needs a boost with shape and space how can I with confidence say this so they were extremely useful for our parent teacher consultations that we had in November time because otherwise without star maths we didn't have any data to fall back on no. so it, it was a great um it was a great filler and it's now become a keep <laughs> fantastic fantastic well that that sort of 
all of that that we've just discussed lends lends itself beautifully to an introduction to those those dreaded IEPs. Well, they can be dreaded IEPs um, <laughs> in terms of, you know, what do I put in this and, and how am I addressing the, the needs of this individual? And we all know about yes. smart, smart targets, but it's not always easy to find those targets that are specific. No. Um, well, actually, our IEPs in, in my school were due last week and um, our IEP review meetings now are happening with our parents next week through Google Meet. Um, but yes, absolutely. Writing a smart target on IEPs can be some can be quite difficult. Accelerated Reader um, and Star Reader made it easier for us to write literacy related targets. And now it's just been the exact same with um, Star Maths because we were we are able to really define our targets. We are able to make them time bound. We are able to make them measurable and all those things that you can see on the screen, Star Maths makes that very easy. You could even go into you know, the data handling part that is shown on the diagnostic report. And if the child score in, in that is 67, maybe you want to increase it to 70. You know, you, yes. you have that great ability to write very, very measurable targets. You know, not just um, Catherine will improve her, her handling data, you know, Yes. Not just that, nothing vague. It does make it very specific, um, which is excellent and much easier for us to write as well as teachers and much easier for us then when it comes to the review of those IEPs. Simply, you know, run the report. Has the child done that? Has the child not done that? And it makes your review writing part of the IEP process equally easy as well. So much easier because otherwise you're sitting there thinking, well, how do I word this? How am I making this measurable? What, what can I, what are the specifics around it? And as you say, they're, they're spewed out by STAR to, to enable you. Absolutely. To and it gives the children and well, first and foremost, it gives the children great ownership of their target because they know, you know, my children know, oh, my target is that I'm trying to move handling data from 67 to 70 they know that and they you know it makes their target exceptionally meaningful for them the parents know as well there's no educational jargon involved that needs to be deciphered down to get to the actual root of the target you know so it is very very transparent and very clear for all involved um when we were having a, a chat about this um, and I was waiting for you to say it, but you haven't said it. So I'm going to prompt you. You started talking about newcomer children. And I thought, what is she talking about? <laughs> yes, Margaret, I believe that you thought I meant children that maybe don't start with the rest of your class That's in right. September time, maybe come in later on in the year. And you and I were having a conversation and you were thinking one thing and I was thinking another. And then I said something and you looked completely baffled. So, so then I said, Margaret, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and um, so in Northern Ireland, our definition of newcomer children, and I looked it up today because I wanted to make sure I was absolutely right. So newcomer children is um, a pupil who does not have satisfactory language skills to participate fully in the curriculum and does not have a language in common with the teacher. So I think our newcomer children are perhaps your EAL children, English yeah. as an additional language children. Yeah. We call them, we call those children newcomer children. And where I teach, I teach in Antrim, we have quite a few newcomer children. We're very lucky because we have children from India, from Poland, from Slovakia. Wow. You know, we you know we have quite a diverse range of children and it's fantastic. Um, but yes, the Star Maths actually has come into its own for our newcomer children. Um, for newcomer children, there's nothing really um, widely recognised as anything to help with assessing maths. 
as far as I know. And I checked, we have a teacher actually employed in our school who assists and supports our newcomer children. Um, and she is the fountain of all knowledge where, where all of this is concerned. And I was just checking with her about, you know, what is there available for newcomer children in terms of assessing maths? She said there is a toolkit, but she said there's nothing really more than that. Um, and Star Maths is excellent because I actually did um, have a newcomer children in both senses of the word, Margaret, um, this year because I had a lovely girl come from India in October time. So she was she didn't start in September with the class. So she's your definition of newcomer. And also English is not her first language. So she's my definition of newcomer. So I had Perfect. a very I had a newcomer um, come in October time from India. Gorgeous, gorgeous girl. And um, her I, I did not know where she landed in terms of maths. I did not know where to place her. I did not know her ability. Um, and her her language was um, she, she was in the silent period a little bit which is a voluntary silent period because obviously yes. everything's new to her. She's immersed in something completely entirely different. So she does have, it turns out that she actually does have quite good language, but she was in her voluntary silent period because she was getting to grips with everything around her. Um, but I did a star maths test with her and I'm so grateful that I had that at hand to be able to do that because I wasn't too sure of her literacy ability at that stage because she was you know quiet um star maths doesn't have the capacity doesn't have the audio function so it won't read to the child but there's no harm in you reading to the child yeah, so yeah. I sat beside her and I read the questions to her and actually it was exceptionally eye-opening and very enlightening because I watched her strategy I actually watched her strategies and her methods more than I watched her answers I wanted to see what way she had been taught and what her go-to was yes. and how she thought things out. So she sat at the computer, I sat at the computer um, and I watched her work it all out. I read the questions out to her to make sure that I was getting a star maths result as in a maths result and that there wasn't a language barrier as such. She wrote it all out and we got a result for her. And I, I then knew where to place her, what group she fell into, what she needed for homework, what level of differentiation was required. So very, very, very useful in that instance, because I do know that for newcomer children, um, we use something called the CEFR. It's the Common European Framework to assess language proficiency. Um, and there's different levels on that. And it's actually not a, an assessment tool. It's more an assessment tracker. But in terms of maths for newcomer children, I feel that it, it's something that we need to really address, perhaps in Northern Ireland. But star maths was certainly a very good start with that. I think I think that's absolutely spot on. I think, you know, assessing children's maths based on their language ability is the most alien thing we could ever do. Yeah. And yet we don't have. I once had two um, Chinese children and I was trying to get them to use a number line. And this little boy in the end, in frustration, just threw it to one side, took off his shoes and socks and put his feet on the table and was using his toes because that's what he was told to do. It was brilliant. It was just excellent. Another report, Catherine. Yes, um, the growth report. Um, this is all. This is always good after you have had, you know, two tests completed. Then you always look for growth. Um, I mean, I, I have 
there is no value in doing assessments for the sake of doing assessments to tick a box to say you have done them. I'm very anti-assessment for assessment's sake or data for data's sake. It's really purposeful to do assessment to see if you are getting growth, because then it means that your planning is right. If you're not getting growth, perhaps maybe planning needs to be adjusted. Maybe strategies need to be adjusted. Maybe who the child is actually sitting beside needs to be changed. There are all those variables at play and a growth report really does help you to think about, well, why is the child not making progress? Why is this child making progress and that child not making progress? So it's really useful to analyze um, a growth report for those different factors. But I actually put the growth report up because um, I'm doing my master's at the minute and I'm on to my third module. There are four modules and a dissertation and I'm on to my third module. Um, and the third module was on educational research methods. And I'm kind of laughing because it's it's so dry, <laughs> educational <laughs> research methods. But um, what I did mine in, I did mine actually using, Star Maths was a part of my, my assignment. And I just thought, you know, I'm doing my master's, but I don't want it to be all theory based. I want it to be as practical as possible. And I want to use classroom practice and I want to try and make it meaningful. Um, and I want to try and make a, an imprint in the classroom. So I reflected on synchronous and asynchronous learning. So I reflected on how in lockdown one, we mostly had asynchronous learning opportunities as in videos pre-recorded and uploaded onto Google Classroom for children to watch and to learn that way. And then in lockdown two that we came out of, um, we mostly had synchronous learning where children joined Google Meets and they were being taught live in real time. Um, and then after both of those experiences, so after lockdown one, children came back to school, we did a STAR test. And then after lockdown two, children came back to school and we did a STAR test. So I actually then run ran the growth report to see, is there a trend? You know, was one system better than the other? Was there value added? Was there negative value added? Was there no impact whatsoever? Was there no significant difference? But I just thought it made me think then, you know, Star Maths is exceptionally useful then for your pre-test and your post-test if you have any other intervention in a school, because I know schools are driven by initiative and budget. The two kind of go hand in hand. So if you're going to have a new initiative put into place that perhaps costs, you know, a, a substitute teacher for two days a week and you're going to run a maths intervention for eight weeks at the cost of substitute teacher for 16 days, you have to be able to show some sort of impact to make that if you wanted to have that yeah, play out long term. Absolutely. Um, and perhaps it's a little bit of prove it to your board of governors. So you could always run a pre-test before your initiative and a post-test afterwards. And, you know, 20 minutes would have the star maths done. And it is something that we plan on doing once we can mix our bubbles in school again, because we run a maths club on a Thursday afternoon from P5, 6 and 7, where we have all of our children basically streamed um, and then we use teachers for an hour to teach in accordance to the cohort of children in front of them. So I last year I had the algebras <laughs> and um, they were the very, very top of, of primary six. And I was able to really, really stretch and extend them. And I didn't have star maths at that time, but it just would have been lovely to pre-test them before the intervention, run the intervention for two terms and then post-test them afterwards and to see what sort of impact it had made. You know, and it's great to be able to give that to governors to say we did this. 
This is what staff thought of it. This is the pupil voice. This is what they thought of it. And then this is actually what the data says about it as well. So it's all the pieces of the jigsaw. So it's really useful. And because you can do it in 20 minutes, I mean, I'm in my ICT suite in school now. You can bring your class to the ICT suite, safe in the knowledge that it's completely computer adaptive. So what's on one person's screen won't be on the other person's screen. So there's no copying involved. No. You can bring them and run out the test very effectively in 20 minutes and have instant results. So for, if you want to put in place an, uh, an intervention strategy and assess its effectiveness, it's a very, very um, good way of doing that. Fluidity of groups. So um, I I uh, spoke to you about this and I, I was just going to say very quickly, I can remember having the yellow table for maths and pretty much the children who started on the yellow table, not that they knew this, but they worked it out pretty much, um, that they were always on the yellow table because unlike any other subject, maths, you're almost sort of doomed before you start. If you If you get the first test wrong, um, actually, that's where you sit because clearly you can't improve, which is ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> I know, and it will never yield any growth for the children and it won't do anything for their maths mindset or their maths confidence either, you know. Um, yes, Margaret, fluidity of groups is extremely important because, um, well, historically we have our standardised test and as I said, we have ours in term three. Standardised tests, the way we do, we still do ours on pencil, with pencil and paper and they're sent away to be marked, those results come back and those results are actually for the next year's teacher. They're not really for the current teacher. So they're diagnostically used for the next year's teacher. And the teacher gets those results, forms the maths groups, and then they're not looked at again until the standardized tests are repeated again for the next teacher. And those children that are the triangles, they remain the triangles, as you said, and their identity never changes. Um, and it's only whenever you think about how fluid your literacy groups and your reading groups are as a result of Star Reader, you think, my goodness, why have I never mimicked that with maths? Um, and we never mimicked it with maths before because we didn't have Star Maths. But I think now, even if we didn't have Star Maths, it's certainly something that the fluidity of groups would stay because it seems like a no-brainer to, to move your maths groups as well. I don't know how we would do it with confidence in the absence of Star Maths, but it is something that we would maintain. I think it's absolutely detrimental to conform a child to a group and never revisit that until the following academic year. Um, if the groups are really, really static, that child's never going to experience growth. Um, so I just, it really seared it into our consciousness that we need to be aware of our maths groups being as uh, flexible um, as our literacy groups. And because star maths can be um, administered so quickly, so easily, so efficiently, it's not like doing the big standardized tests and how long they take and your mop up if somebody's absent. I mean, if somebody's absent in my room, whenever I'm bringing everybody to the ICT suite, they just do it in the classroom yeah. on one of the desktop computers in the classroom. You know, so the, the being involved with a big mop up or, you know, anything yes. like that, because the teacher hasn't to call anything out. It's completely self-efficient. Yeah. Um, so it's very, very easy to do that. And then it's very easy to move your groups. And it's so important for children for a growth mindset as well, for them to say, what group Absolutely. am I in? And for it's, it's actually okay. Not that they'll know that they're in the bottom group because teachers are too clever to let them know that. And we code it in different ways. But, you know, now in my class, it's those children that were huge high achievers. It's actually okay if they're not in the top group. 
the next time round. Yes. Because if groups, if it is the climate in the school that groups are um, fluid and changing and that you're changing and you're not always static, then that ideal, ideal of and idea of always being in the top group does take a little bit of a hammering, but a good hammering, you know, yes, um, yes. for the sake of the child. So, yes, it has reawakened us to our whole maths assessment procedures. You know, maths assessment in my school used to be a standardised test, as I talked about, and a Friday test um, on a Friday to assess the bulk of learning for that week. But now, you know, it's really, really, because it's so unobtrusive, it is woven into the fabric of our teaching and planning a lot more effectively than has been in the past. And then the children now are so accustomed now to changing groups. So there's not that worry. Oh my goodness, I'm not in the top group. Parents are not phoning up to say, why is my Catherine not in group one anymore? Because it's now becoming part of the climate of the school. Amazing. That's that's so lovely. And I love to hear it because I, I bore my colleagues with, you know, why don't we say if you've got star reading, why don't you have star maths? Because, you know, yeah. it's a no brainer. So it's lovely to hear you articulating it so solidly and, and with such conviction and obvious experience and delight from the sound of it. Um, <laughs> it sounds like it's really sort of done its stuff. Um, Thank you so much for your insight. I mean, it's been really lovely talking to you, as I knew it would be, because I've spoken to you several times now, but I just knew that, you know, you had so much to share for others. No, I, I don't think I have anything to add. I just think that we are now in a digital transformation in terms of school and education. Um, and I would deem Star Maths part of the intelligent digital transformation because there's a digital transformation and some is intelligent and some it's just a little bit too drastic um, and it's definitely forms part of the intelligent digital transformation to you know it really is a no-brainer to have it if you do have star reader and um, it's not a big it's not a big ask on the budget at all because you're you, you know you mightn't buy an accelerated maths in an ideal world you would um, it's not a big ask on the budget but it it's so effective in in the classroom Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Margaret. Thanks for listening to the Math Star episode of the Renaissance Space podcast. If you enjoyed the episode or have anything to say around the topic, get onto Twitter and use the hashtag, hashtag Renaissance Space to have your say. And as always, please subscribe to and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. For updates on upcoming episodes of the Renaissance Space podcast, follow Margaret and I on Twitter. You can find our social media handles in the summary section of the episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>